You may open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. I am handing out a chart that I hope will, hope will help you follow the lesson tonight. I've entitled tonight's The Rome Connection, Bible Identification of the Antichrist. And I want to just touch a few points in ten chapters. We could easily spend an hour per chapter. But I've given you a few comparisons of ten chapters and how there is one great theme stretching from Daniel chapter 2 all the way to Revelation 19. Does everyone have one? Or are you getting one? Daniel chapter 2. The past week has shown us the world's obsession with the Roman Catholic religion and the head of that religion, the Pope of Rome, in his funeral this past Friday. Several million went to Rome to see his body so-called lying in state, and a couple billion watched it on television. It's been on the newspapers, in magazines, and all over the television. So Rome has been very important the last few days and weeks. We are praying for some brothers of ours who are married to Catholic and we have seen and heard about the blindness that they have and their inability to see the truth. And so we want to consider the Rome connection and the Bible identification of the Antichrist. And I hope that instead of ahead, you'll listen to me and read behind me by going and looking at it after I've spent some time trying to teach you what is on the page. Let's answer one question right off the bat. What comes first? The second coming of Jesus Christ or the Antichrist? The Antichrist comes first. But the whole religious world says, Jesus comes first. And yet, Apostle Paul will let no by any for that day, the day of his coming, 2 Thessalonians chapter shall not come except there come a falling away first, meaning an apostasy away from the truth of the gospel and the man of sin be revealed. Jesus cannot come. I'll tell you tonight, and Jesus come at just about any time right now. Because these chapters pretty much run their course. The whole world is wrong. The religious world, the conservative religious world that says Jesus comes and then some so-called cyclops with one eyeball in his forehead or some computer chip in him is going to come along and rule over the United Nations and that's going to be the Antichrist. That is not what the Bible teaches. And before a hundred years ago, no one but Roman Catholics believed that. Everyone knew who the Antichrist was. All the martyrs that died at the hands of Antichrist knew who Antichrist was. The translators of your King James Bible knew who Antichrist was. They said so in their dedication. The Confessions of Faith, whether it be the Westminster, the Church of England's Articles, the Baptist Confessions, they all knew who the Antichrist was. Everyone knew who the Antichrist was. Everyone understood 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There was no question about it. 
The restraining power were the Roman emperors, and the man of sin were the popes of Rome, in the line of them stretching from about 600 A.D. to the present time. Now, we've got two errors today. Preterism and futurism. Two errors have stolen the truth from Christians. Preterism is that all the Bible was fulfilled by 70 A.D. When I say all of it, I mean all of it. Every single word of the New Testament was fulfilled in 70 A.D. You are living in an unknown period of time for which they have no comfort, instruction, or direction. The resurrection of the saints, the second coming of Christ, all of it occurred in 70 A.D., and that particular school of thought is on the rise right now, and it's called preterism. See, that gets the focus off the Church of Rome by bringing it short. The man of sin and the Antichrist to them was Nero Caesar himself. Then there's futurism, which some of us were taught, which is what I just referred to by asking the question, which comes first, Jesus or the Antichrist? Futurism takes everything in the New Testament, dealing with prophecy, just about everything, and throws it way out into the future, where it has no value for us at all, because the next event is the secret rapture, and we'll be out of here. Why did he even prophesy anything for us? And so all it comes is speculation to write novels, make films, like the Left Behind series. That's called futurism. Everything's out in the future. After the Lord Jesus Christ comes, then the Antichrist will be revealed. Contrary to what Paul said in Second Thessalonians 2. Those are the two errors. This was once understood by everyone. I can show it to you. Commentator after commentator after commentator after commentator. Church confession, church creed, and the martyrs and their confessions. They knew who was burning them at the stake. And it was a great comfort to them to know that they were fulfilling Bible prophecy in their deaths. And that the Son of God was watching what was happening. And he was going to come and with his mouth and the brightness of his coming, destroy that enemy. Daniel chapter 2. We have to go very quickly, as you can tell. You will know where I am by looking at the, at the chart in front of you. You will know when I'm in trouble, and I'm in trouble already. Daniel chapter 2. I can't read the chapter to you. A couple of years ago, I led a Bible study series on Wednesday nights where we went through the book of Daniel chapter by chapter. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, sees an image, four different medals. He can't interpret it, but Daniel can. And Daniel interprets it for him and tells him about the five kingdoms that are left in the world. And this number five is very important for us. Because between four and five, there aren't any more. Don't try to come up with something outside of the Bible because, you th because you've been taught it all your life. The fourth one's Rome and the next one's Jesus Christ. There's not something else in between them. Because I don't care if you look in Daniel or Second Thessalonians or Revelation, you're going to come up with... Five kingdoms. We have four in this image. It has a gold head. It then has some silver shoulders and breast. It has a belly of brass. And then it has legs of iron. And then a stone is cut out of a mountain that comes and smashes it in its feet. Knees. Feet. Hits it in its feet at the latter end of the Roman Empire. Hits it in its feet, and that stone fills the earth because that stone is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at a couple verses in Daniel chapter 2. Let's go to verse 36. 
Daniel chapter 2. This is Daniel speaking. This is the dream. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even remember the dream. Daniel was quite a dream interpreter when he could give you the dream as well. You know those mornings you wake up, you knew you had a dream, you try to remember what you just dreamed, and you can't even remember the dream, let alone the interpretation of it. But Daniel knew because God knew. Verse 36, this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And that is the mighty Roman Empire and its mighty armies that in iron-shod boots trampled the world beneath its feet. We've just covered world history from the time of Daniel in 500 B.C. till the present time. The head of gold was Babylon. The second inferior kingdom were the Medes and the Isaiah chapter 13 tells us the burden of Babylon. The Medes and the Persians, by name, God tells it all in advance. Isaiah, Isaiah was a couple hundred years in front of Daniel. And Isaiah tells us that Babylon would be overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. It's number two. Then when we go to Daniel chapter 8, God tells us it's going to be the Medes and the Persians. And he tells us that the third kingdom, by name, by name, before it was important, when it was a little dinky state there by the boot of Italy, he says it's Greece. Empire number three. And what empire destroyed Greece? In the Battle of Actium in 30 B.C. was the Roman Empire. There's the four empires. And a stone, which was the kingdom of Christ, was cut out and hid it in its in the latter day of the Roman Empire. Now let's look. Further down, Daniel chapter 2, and let me read just two more verses from this chapter. Daniel 2.44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Daniel is interpreting the stone now. He's explaining what the stone was. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Amen, amen and amen. amen. Daniel, what, did Daniel, was he intimidated by preaching to Nebuchadnezzar? Was he, was he intimidated by telling Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom isn't going to last much longer because the Medes and the Persians are going to take it down? No, he wasn't. A, he said, this thing is certain, and God's given you the interpretation of it. And I wish you would get excited with me that the great God has told us world history in advance. Amen. That's what prophecy is for. Prophecy is not to speculate about the future. Prophecy is when it comes to pass to say, our great God told us that. That's what it's for. Our great God told us that. And here he outlined history. You know, I love to read Daniel 2.44. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. 
Then I love to turn my Bible to a little book called Luke. Come to chapter 2 and verse 1, where it says, And in the days of Caesar Augustus, a decree went out that the world should be taxed. Ho, ho, was that decree important? It got a young man named Joseph to a place called Bethlehem. Is that important to you? Was someone carving a stone out of a mountain? Yes, he was. It was the Lord God carving a stone out. I love to go to Luke chapter 3, where it says, In the fifteenth year of Tiberius Caesar, a wild man came out of the wilderness preaching this message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Praise the God of heaven. If you can't figure that one out, that connection is so obvious and so simple. In the days of these kings, and then we're told Caesar Augustus, then we're told Tiberius Caesar, in the days of two of the Roman emperors, two of the Caesars, along comes Jesus Christ and John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And men were pressing into it because Jesus was forming his kingdom in the days of these kings. That's Daniel 2. We have five kingdoms. We see Christ's kingdom set up. And we see that Christ will eventually, his kingdom will fill the earth and crush it and drive it like the chaff of the threshing floor into oblivion. It's Roman. The last kingdom before Jesus Christ, the one that he comes and destroys, is Roman because there's only four before Jesus Christ. It's Roman. Let's go to Daniel 7. You cannot understand Revelation, and you cannot understand Second Thessalonians 2 rightly without taking the course that I'm taking with you right now. If you follow the course that I'm giving you right now, you can understand these things. Daniel 7 focuses on that fourth beast, I mean, the fourth empire, which here it's going to be represented by a beast. This is Belshazzar in Daniel 7, the time of Belshazzar. It's later in Daniel's life. He sees four great beasts come up out of the sea, verse 3. The, the lion and had eagle's wings, and that's Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian. Number 5, verse number 5, is a second beast. There's the Medes and the Persians. It raises itself up on one side, because the Persians were greater than the Medes. Verse number 6, and then we see a leopard, which has on the back of it four wings of a fowl. Now, a leopard's pretty fast by itself. But when a leopard's got wings, it's real fast. And that's the Greek Empire. Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. How many heads? Four heads because his kingdom was divided to his four generals when he died in the prime of life. That's verse number six. Then verse number seven, after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, it devoured and break in pieces, and of it, could, there couldn't be better words in the Bible about a Roman army. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. That is the Roman Empire. We've got Babylon again, like a lion with eagle's wings. Then we've got the Medes and the Persians. Then we've got the Greeks, Alexander the Great. Then we've got the Roman Empire, when Jesus Christ began to set up his kingdom. And it has ten horns which everyone knows as the power vacuum began to, as the power in Rome, centralized power in Rome began to disintegrate, the ten states that made up the Roman Empire began to have some power of their own. So this beast, a beast in the Bible is not a man with an eye in his forehead. He's not a man with x-ray vision so that he can see whether you've got your 666 on your hand or not. A beast in the Bible is an empire. 
It's a kingdom. It's that, it's true in this book, and it's true in John's book of the Revelation. In both places, the beast is not a man, it's a kingdom. It's a line of men ruling over a kingdom and ruling over an empire. So we've got a beast. Now, out of that beast comes ten horns. Ten little dominions from the great big dominion of the beast. But verse number 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. A little, a, Another little horn, another little king, comes growing up out of this Roman beast. And he's got eyes. He's got intelligence. And he sees what's going on in the world. He's a seer and pretends to be a prophet. And he speaks great things against the Most High God. We can look at verse 8. Then we can come down to verse 11. We have to just point out some things about the little horn of Rome. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And the verses around this are the Lord Jesus Christ destroying the Roman Catholic Church. Amen. Just we read in, Roman, in Daniel chapter 2, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the fourth empire. Here it's the same thing. Let's look at uh, verse number 20. Daniel's asking the angel, I want to know more about the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. He wasn't like an ordinary king. See, ordinary kings just say, go ahead and call me king. This king was more stout than his fellows. Not, not physically stout. He was stout in his arrogance and his pride and the things that he spoke against God. Verse 21, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. This little kingdom that comes out is going to be a seer, and he's going to speak great things against God, and he's going to persecute the saints of God, and he grew out of a very specific fourth beast, meaning it's Roman. The little horn of Daniel 7 is the little horn of Rome. Okay, the angel's going to tell Daniel a little bit more about him. And he says in verse, he says in verse 23, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. We know exactly that that's the Roman kingdom, because Daniel 2 told us that. Verse 24, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his until a time and times and the dividing of time. There's no other being on earth that this could apply to. There's no other being on earth. These are the popes of Rome because it is a little horn different from every other kingdom. It is unique in its appeal to power and its power base and it grew out of the Roman Empire. It was a seer. It has a blasphemous mouth against God. It persecutes the saints of God and it it changes the times and laws that matter to God. See, he doesn't care when a king comes along and changes the speed limit from 70 to 55. 
God cares when a king comes along and changes his laws and his times. And this king did that. But the judgment shall sit. Now we know whose judgment that is from chapter 2 and because we know the New Testament. It's the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to destroy the fourth beast and the little horn that grew out of it. And so the judgment spit and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion, and these are what I read to you when we open tonight, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High God. Amen. Praise his great and glorious name. The fears, And we are awfully close to it. Daniel was awfully far from it. Now, what's time times and half a time? That's three and a half. If you've got time, then you've got times. That's a plural. That's two more. And then you've got half a time. You've got three and a half. You'll see. I've got to tell you right now because we're going to make progress. We have to. 1,260 years of the popes of Rome ruling the world and being allowed to prevail against the saints of God from approximately 600 A.D. to approximately 1870. <clears throat> that's another subject for another time to go into the details of when the Pope of Rome actually had the authority to sit in the throne and command the principalities of Europe to the time when Rome was sacked and lost its civil power. It has none now. It's a big figurehead. There's nobody in Europe. World War II was not fought with any consideration of the Pope's power. World War I was not fought with any consideration of the Pope's power. They fought it without him. Lost his civil power. That's Daniel chapter 7. Now, Daniel 5 and Daniel 7 told us a couple things that we want to see tracing five kingdoms. In both places, we're told about five kingdoms. It says the kingdom shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, after Babylon, after Medo-Persia, after Greece, after Rome. So it's got the same five kingdoms. Christ destroys this fourth kingdom in the end. We saw that there were ten horns. Just pointing out a few things you want to remember while you read the Bible. This Roman beast had ten horns. Christ destroys it. It's made up of a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a dragon. And it's Roman. The little horn that came out of that Roman beast is guilty of blasphemy. Verses 8, 11, 20, and 25 of this chapter. You don't have to try to memorize it. It's right there. He, the little horn is known for blasphemy, for apostasy, changing times and laws, that's departing from the Orthodox faith. That's departing from the Apostolic faith taught in the New Testament. He persecuted the saints, verses 21 and 25. He rules over the whole earth, verse 25, for a duration of three and a half prophetic years, verse 25. And he's given to the flames in verse 11. And it happens before the second coming, verses 21 through 27. Because the second coming is the last event. But the judgment will sit when Jesus Christ will sit in judgment on the little horn of Rome. Let's come to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It is, it is a pity. Here's why I'm preaching on this, and here's why you have something in your hands. Hardly anyone in this city of Bible-believing churches understands anything about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Not one in 100 would be able to tell you the true interpretation of 2 Thessalonians 2. 95 of them would say that it's all in the future. Unbelievable. Paul says in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. But 95 of them in this city, the buckle of the Bible belt, where the Bible is taught, supposedly, and they read the Bible, 
And there's King James Baptist churches. There's 500 Baptist churches in this city. They don't know what 2 Thessalonians 2 is about because it's been stolen from them. It's been taken in two directions. The present say it was all done in 70 AD. The futurists say it's all out in the future. But this is a present tense thing he's about to take. And does anybody know what empire Paul was preaching under? Can we figure that one out? Rome. He was sent from Caesarea to Rome to appear before Caesar. He was under the Roman Empire shortly after the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 tells us the order. The Antichrist has to come before the Jesus Christ comes. I'm using the Antichrist very loosely. Do you know that the word Antichrist doesn't appear in Daniel? It doesn't appear in 2 Thessalonians 2, and it doesn't appear in Revelation. It only appears in First and Second John. In Revelation, it's always a beast. And the beast is not the Secretary General of the United Nations. The beast is a kingdom. It's a thing that John sees come up out of the sea, and it's ugly. It's got part of a lion and part of a leopard and part of a bear and horns and heads. It's got seven heads, and of course, it's got ten horns coming out. It's a kingdom. It's not a man. It's not Henry Kissinger. It's not Richard Milhouse Nixon. Don't you know that Richard has six letters? Milhouse has six letters. Nixon, no it doesn't. I can't remember what the, how that one went. Henry Kissinger was a 666. Richard, they've got, listen, they've done every one. They're so far from the truth. We can back into the truth by reading the, by reading the Bible. Right. And we don't have to because everyone knows what 666 has meant until the last few generations of speculators about whether it's Franklin Roosevelt, Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, and all the others they've come up with. 2 Thessalonians 2, the order must be laid down and understood. There must be a falling away first. It's a falling away. An apostasy away from the truth. Men depart from the truth. There's going to be an effort to change times and laws, and men are going to leave the truth of the gospel. Then the man of sin is revealed. The popes will sit on their thrones. Then Jesus Christ will come and destroy the popes of Rome. Now look at what it says here. And we're in the Roman Empire, because we've moved forward 500 years from Daniel to the time of Paul. Verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, an apostasy away from the truth, a departure from the truth of the gospel. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Neat name, don't you think? I have down here on that column, under perdition, down toward the bottom, John seventeen twelve. Can you remember who else in the New Testament was called the son of perdition? Yeah, Judas, Judas. Judas Iscariot. What did Judas profess to be? An apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was he really? A, a satanically led man who was an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is another son of perdition. A Judas Iscariot claiming to be an apostle, but he's the son of perdition. He's going to be judged just like Judas was. Verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. These are the blasphemous words and claims of Daniel 7. Remember the little horn was stouter than his fellows? Remember the other kings just say, call me king? This man wants to be called God. This man wants to be called most holy and reverend father. He expects to be called his holiness. 
who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. So that he as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now at this time there was a temple in Jerusalem. Be very careful. Was it the temple of God? No longer. Jesus Christ walked out of that temple for the last time and said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Three and a half years earlier, when he purged it of money changers, he said, You have made my father's house a den of thieves. That temple in Jerusalem wasn't any temple to the God of heaven. He had left that place. What was the temple in the New Testament? The church. The church was the temple. Now, would, the, would a temple in Rome, a temple in Rome, you know, a temple to, to Zeus or Jupiter or any other god, would that be the temple of God? No. What would be a temple of God? A church. Judas escaped. Claiming to be an apostle would sit and claim to be greater than God and oppose all that is called God. And I sent you a picture last night in your inboxes of his seat in the temple of God because that building and what goes on there is it is claimed to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ and not just a church, the church. The church. The original church. And so a man sits in the temple of God and claims that he is God. He's way up on that chair when he speaks. He speaks as God on earth and his law is infallible. That's called papal infallibility. He sets the laws of the church. He can overrule the New Testament because he has the keys of Peter. Was that, does that match up with changing times and laws from Daniel chapter 7? And about verse 25, here we are in verse 4. Paul's saying that Paul's writing this in an epistle to the Thessalonians, who opposeth and exalteth himself. This man's got to come before Jesus can come. You Thessalonians, don't be all shook up that Jesus Christ is about to come at any time, even though you've got a forged epistle from someone as if it was from us, verse 2. Because Jesus Christ cannot come until there's a great departure from the faith. The man of sin is revealed. I mean, he's fully out there where everybody can see him. Then the Lord Jesus Christ can come. So that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? I explained these things to you when I was with you. I must chase a little rabbit right here. If you go read the first ten verses of Acts chapter 17, you will read about Paul's visit to the city of Thessalonica. It was in Thessalonica where the Apostle Paul was accused of speaking things contrary to Caesar. Acts 17, 1 through 10. He was charged with crimes against Caesar. He said, when I was with you, I told you these things. Now, that wouldn't have gone over well that the Roman Empire was going to be... These guys that get empires and sit at the top, they think they're going to last forever. How long did Adolf Hitler think his was going to last? thousand years for the Third Reich. You know, he, he got about ten. Fifteen, nothing, nothing at all. None of the no, Napoleon can't, couldn't do it. The Kaiser couldn't do it. No one can do it, except the Lord Jesus Christ. His kingdom shall not be left to another, and it will destroy all those kingdoms, and it will stand forever. Amen. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth. That's present tense. There is something right then and existing in Paul's day that was withholding restraining the man of sin coming into being. 
And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. That is, the man of sin in God's timing is going to be revealed. But right now there is something present in the Roman Empire that is going to keep that little horn from being revealed. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Satan was already at work. The departure from the faith had already begun. Paul said there were many that corrupted the word of God in his day. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth. He, a singular man, he, now, there was some man letting. And letting here in this context is an old English word meaning to restrain or to hold back. There was one man, he, it was called a what in verse 6. It's called a he here in verse 7. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. God is going to take some man that's also called a thing out of the way for the man of sin to be revealed. And then shall that wicked be revealed, who the Lord shall consume right this coming. What is Jesus going to destroy from Daniel chapter 7? A little horn out of the Roman beast. What is Jesus going to destroy from Daniel 2? The Roman beast. He's going to hit smack that image in the feet and drive it into powder. This chapter, for 100 years ago, was understood by all men. All men. They knew what the man of sin was. That's why it's in your dedication. That's why it's in your hymnal. That's why it's in the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Baptist Confessions of Faith. The man of sin is the line of popes. The restraining power is the Caesar who's still on his throne. Because that beast had to break up into the ten horns, and then one of those little horns get ambitious take down three of his opponents, and that little horn grows up, and that's the beast that we saw in Daniel chapter 7. The little horn in Daniel chapter 7 is the same as the man of sin of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. But that pope could not take to himself his arrogant power until Caesar was out of the way. Caesar would not have taken it well to have been told by the bishop of Rome, I'm God on earth, kiss my feet. But I'll tell you, after God took Caesar out of the way, the pope sat on his throne And if you wanted to be crowned in Europe, who put the crown on your head? The popes did. And how did they do it? With their feet. Do you remember anything from history class about Pepin, the king of France? How long did he have to stand in the snow outside the palace of the pope before the pope would even give him an audience? Three days. He had a look that was stouter than his fellows. I get so angry, and I am so thankful for our website, that we can put to the world the truth about some of these passages that was once understood by everyone. 100 conservative Christians in Greenville, South Carolina. 95 of them would say the entire chapter is in the future. Three of it was fulfilled in 70 A.D. Two would say, I'm not sure. You'd have to go to 200 to find someone that understands these are the popes of Rome and the restraining power is Rome itself. 
It's, it should be obvious from reading the passage. Why didn't Paul say it plainly? Because you wouldn't dare write something plainly like this in a letter to a church where you were, were accused of preaching against Caesar. So he said, I told you the details when I was with you. I'm just reminding you that the restraining power that is in place is going to be there until God takes it out of the way. When the restraining power is taken out of the way, the little horn of Daniel 7, the man of sin is going to come into being. He'll be revealed. You'll be able to see him clearly. And so we have the Bible prophecy of chapter 2. It goes on to say the mystery of iniquity was already at work. It goes on to say that the restraining power was already there because the Caesars were ruling as Paul was writing this. It says that this particular being is going to oppose and exalt God. The popes have always done that. By verse 4, he's going to use and lying signs and wonders in verses 8 and 9 in order to deceive men into following his religion. Falling away then the man of sin being revealed when the emperor was taken off his throne. What happened in 300, about 300 A.D., 350? Constantine moved the capital of the Roman Empire to where? Constantinople. All the way at the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. So now we have a power vacuum in Rome. Now he ruled from over there, over the whole Roman Empire. But he wanted a city named after himself. So he moved several hundred miles east and planted a new capital... But when there's no Caesar in Rome, an ambitious, bishop, an ambitious bishop of Rome with the mystery of iniquity already at work began to take on the importance of, since this is the capital city, our church is in charge of all churches. And then a couple hundred years later, when the Roman Empire was overrun by Germanic tribes out of Europe, it was a total power vacuum. The nation, the, the empire broke into ten little kingdoms. And up out of them came that eleventh horn, that little horn, that eleventh horn. He took up three of those kingdoms to get himself sovereign dominion, and he and he ruled over Europe for twelve hundred and sixty years, and he persecuted our ancestors for twelve hundred and sixty years. Anybody that reads anything about history, what's that period of time called? The Dark Ages. It's called the Dark Ages. Why is it called the Dark Ages? Because all of Europe was taken back under the darkness of the popes of Rome superstition of that combination of paganism, Judaism, and Christianity that darkened the whole nation. When you have to go to church and listen to a dead language that you don't understand called Latin, when you have to go to church and lie to your senses that a cracker has become God, you are in darkness. When, when you are having all your money taken from you to build all those magnificent cathedrals that dot the landscape in Europe, you are blind and darkened. When you believe that you can drop money as soon as the coin into the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And these bandits would come into town and take money to, to free souls out of purgatory. A make-believe place to begin with. Because this man had changed times and laws and seasons. That Second Thessalonians 2 now, instead of falling away, had to come. Let's go to First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. Prophecy wasn't given to confuse men. It's not that difficult if we'll humble ourselves to the Bible. Start back in Daniel, because Daniel tells us things that we can already see their fulfillment. We already know the Babylon came first. Then Cyrus did a pretty good job on the Babylonians by diverting the water of the Euphrates and taking that city over. We all know about Alexander the Great. He whipped up on everyone in just a few years. And then we know the Roman army, Cleopatra, stole the heart of Mark Antony, got him all messed up so that when he faced Augustus in battle, Augustus whipped him. And so it was Caesar Augustus that passed the decree to bring Joseph to Bethlehem. And there we go. 
And there's John the Baptist and Jesus Christ saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're the legs of iron and clay to meet the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter 4. Since I went over it on Wednesday night, we'll just take a few seconds. The Spirit speaketh expressly, verse 1, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Does, that, does the, devil, the word devil have anything to do with Satan? Since we saw that the mystery of iniquity and Satan was at work for the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2, here it's called doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats. Those two doctrines. Come on now. What church doesn't let you marry, and what church makes you abstain from meats? The Roman Catholic Church. We've got Daniel 2, five kingdoms. We've got Daniel 7, five kingdoms, and a little horn growing out of the Roman Empire, speaking blasphemous things against God, persecuting the saints of God, adds to it in 2 Thessalonians 2, that before he's visible, there's going to be a falling away. Paul tells us in another place about that falling away, that it's the celibacy and abstaining from meats. This is not rocket science. We're just reading the Bible and believing it and following the course of revelation from Daniel to Thessalonians to Timothy. That's Roman Catholic doctrine. The falling away, Roman Catholic doctrine, celibacy and abstaining from meats, infant baptism, and on and on and on and on it went as the Pope changed times and laws and the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obviously, 1 Timothy 4 has to be before the second coming, doesn't it? Because why is he warning Timothy about it? If Jesus is going to come and get Timothy out of there, Timothy doesn't need to worry about these false doctrines. These false doctrines are going to happen while Christians were on earth. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18. Here's how the chart, here's how the chart might be helpful. Maybe it won't be. I hope it is. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, I only have one entry called apostasy. Back, back all the way up to the left of the page. In Daniel 7, Daniel prophesied about apostasy when he said he'll think to change times and laws. Then Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 says that falling away has to come first. Then Paul told Timothy a little bit more about it. By its two main, two of its main doctrines being the vow of celibacy and abstaining from meats. And so now when we come to 1 John chapter 2 and we have the occurrence of the word Antichrist, what's it associated with? Let's read. 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last time. I wonder how many more times there are. It is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. <clears throat> do you think John taught what Paul taught? Amen. Think he did? Think that these men preached the same doctrine? Do you think they understood the book of Daniel? Did Jesus say that Daniel was simple? Did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 24, let him that readeth understand? Right. Daniel is not a hard book because Daniel's already been fulfilled. And so you can just look into Daniel. You look at that leopard with the four heads and the, and the wings of a fowl. And you know it's Alexander the Great because it defeated the Greeks, it defeated the Medes and the Persians, and it was defeated by the Romans. The kingdom before it, you know the kingdom after it, you know that it's split into four parts. I mean, it's wonderful to read Daniel. I love reading Daniel. I'd hate to have been Daniel trying to figure out Daniel. 
And you know what? So did Daniel. He said, my cogitations troubled me very much. Do you know what your cogitations are? It's your thoughts that you can't solve. My cogitations. That's how he ended up, Daniel chapter 7. I had a lot of cogitations about this. I'm so thankful to live on this side and see it. 1 John 2, little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, little opponents and Judases, falsifying Christianity, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. Is that a falling away from the truth? Paul said there has to be a falling away first. And so there's all these men falling away. They went out from us because they weren't really of us. They had different ambitions. They did not have regenerate hearts. They fell away, just like Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, and just like he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, And John is pointing out, because of this departure from the faith, you've heard that Antichrist singular is coming. Even now are there many Antichrist plural. Little men who have departed from the faith and opposed the doctrine of Jesus Christ, but there was one great big one still coming. 1 John chapter 2. Let's go to Revelation 12. Revelation chapter 12. I know you'll be, you'll be disappointed unless you trust your pastor, but I'm trying to give you a sketch of the Rome connection. We already know from Daniel chapter 7, we know more, but we know more from Daniel 7, just about, than any other single chapter in the Bible about the Antichrist. Because, because Daniel's vision was pretty plain and Daniel asked a lot of questions. He said, tell me more about that fourth kingdom and that little horn. And we've been that chapter, and you know that there's a full outline in 2 Thessalonians 2, There's a full outline in Daniel 2. There's a full outline in Daniel 7. So we're going to touch some high points in these chapters for you to see that they connect right with Daniel like a hand in a glove. There's only five kingdoms from the time of Daniel to the end of the world. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 12. Let me just point at a few things. In in verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon. Have we encountered a dragon before? It was unnamed in Daniel chapter 7. It was diverse from all the beasts before it. A great red dragon having seven heads and how many horns? Ten horns. Well, isn't this difficult? We're comparing scripture with scripture and being simple and trusting God. And not speculating because we're not about to write a novel called the Left Behind series. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna fall before the Lord and say thank you for Daniel 2, Daniel 7, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 Timothy 4, 1 John 2. Now I get into Revelation 12. It's always disturbed me, but I find a dragon, which is a wild, ferocious looking beast, different from all others. A dragon is not like the petting or the, the animals at the zoo. A dragon's different. And it's got seven heads, and it's got ten horns. We've already met with the ten horns before, and seven crowns upon its heads. Just in passing, 
This is pagan Rome. It has not turned into papal Rome yet. There's not an eleventh horn, and there's no one riding on its back yet. We're going to see different beasts that God gives us for different views of the same thing. In Daniel 2, should we think that the legs... In Daniel 2, should we think that the gold head of Nebuchadnezzar's beast is a different thing from the lion with eagle wings? Of Daniel 7. Why would you ever think that? You couldn't think that if you're going to be honest with the Word of God. He's just showing it to you in a different way. And what we're about to look at is God showing us the Antichrist, the popes of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, and their civil authority under different pictures. One of them is going to be a woman. Now that's so easy to figure out. You're looking at the church. One of them is a lion speaking like a lamb. That's easy to figure out. It's the ministry. It's what brings the life. It's what convinces the people. And then you've got the dragon itself, the beast itself, the revived Roman Empire in all of its power, wealth, and domination over Europe. Romans, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, we see the ten horns. So all of a sudden, if we're reading the Bible and comparing, we have a little line here called, Rome has ten horns. And we can trace back and see that Daniel taught us that in chapter 2, and he taught us that in chapter 7. And it's got seven heads. Those are the seven forms of government of the Roman Empire that Rome's own histories have admitted. It had seven forms of government. And chapter 13 is going to tell us that there is an eighth. And the eighth is going to go into perdition. The eighth one's the son of perdition. The eighth one is came, that came after the seven forms of government that Rome had. I'll show you in a second where John explained it rather plainly. But the eighth one is going to be the one that goes into perdition. It's the Pope of Rome. He's going to have a look stouter than his fellows. He's going to be different, and he's the one that God is going to judge when Jesus Christ comes. Revelation chapter 12. Satan is active in this kingdom, like Paul told, told us he was already active in Second Thessalonians 2. Because reading from verse 7 all the way to the end of the chapter, it's all about the devil. It's all about the devil persecuting the saints. But now in this chapter, it says that he persecutes them in verse 6 for 1,203 score days. Did, a little, did the Roman Empire persecute the Christians for only 1,260 days? Or are those prophetic days, just like the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9 are 70 weeks of years, 1,260 years. Are we 80% confident of this, or are we 105% confident? Do you know how we're 105% confident? Because God loves you, and he lets you be born in the 20th century so that you are looking back, and you know how long Rome persecuted the saints of God. All you have to do is pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs and read about it. Every historian knows that for the Dark Ages, there was an inquisition in the Catholic Church that persecuted the saints of God. And it lasted for about 1,200 years. I know exactly how long it lasted. It lasted for 1,260 years. Now look at this. Over here in verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Now what's the woman here? This woman brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the church, brethren. She was given two wings of an eagle that she could fly out into the wilderness, North Africa, Europe, Bohemia, and the British Isles, where she was nourished for a time and times 
and half a time from the face of the serpent who was operating through the Roman Empire. When did all this start to take place? It tells us in, in Revelation chapter 12 that this took place when the devil was cast out of heaven. When was the devil cast out of heaven? At the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord? Just a moment. It's not very nice. I should have just smashed it on my Bible. Forgive me, video land or tape land, there was a, uh, a beast crawling on my Bible. My wife got hit by one this morning right in the forehead while we were on the last song before the sermon this morning. We'll, we'll get this taken care of in here. Revelation chapter 12. Notice, it says that there was war in heaven in verse 7. Michael and his angels fought against the devil and his angels. Their place was found in heaven no more. The great dragon was cast out. All the people in heaven are singing a song saying, Now has come salvation. When did Jesus say that the devil was going to be cast out? John chapter 12, verse 31. He said, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Cast out of where? Cast out of heaven where he had access until Jesus Christ died and paid for all our sins. Because it says here, The accuser of our brethren is cast down. So we know the timing. We know the timing of when this thing started ratcheting into effect. And what is the Bible... What does the Bible tell us about who was in charge of the world at the time Jesus Christ died on the cross? Who put him to death? Prince Rome put him to death. That's Revelation 12. Come over to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. In verse 2, we have beast of the sea. Verse 1 tells us he has seven heads and ten horns. Oh. That's the same beast as 12, isn't it? Right. Maybe a little different. Because what I see here is, what's crowned? What's crowned in Revelation 13.1? The horns are crowned. Right. What was crowned in, Re- in Revelation 12.3? The heads were crowned. It was pagan Rome. Now it's transitional Rome. When the emperor was taken out of the way, And it broke into its ten principalities because the crowns are being put on the ten horns. Transitional Rome. Because it was after those ten principalities had a little bit of power that the eleventh was going to take advantage of three of them and become residing power in Europe. Revelation 13. John looks at the beast and he sees parts of creatures in the beast. It says, I saw what was likened to a leopard. And his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. Have we encountered those three beasts before? A lion, a bear, and a leopard? Yes. Chapter 7. And John sees the conglomeration of these world empires that Rome incorporated into the Roman Empire. When Rome went and defeated these different kingdoms, they just didn't obliterate them. They adopted everything they could to enhance the Roman Empire. And yet the thing overall looks like a dragon, and the dragon gave him his power, and that means the devil, because we're told in chapter 12 who the dragon is. It said in verse 9, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So we don't have to wonder about what gave this kingdom its power, exactly like Paul said, it would be after the working of 
Satan in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Here's this beast. It's the Roman Empire. It's incorporated the three empires before it. It's got seven heads for the seven forms of government. And, and John said, I saw one of its heads wounded like it was dead. And all the world wondered after the beast. They thought the Roman Empire was gone. But was there a thing after the Roman Empire called the Holy Roman Empire? appeared, And it came back to life by the Roman Catholic Church. And who brought it back to life so that people believed that the power that once was Rome was back in Rome, that Caesar that was once in Rome was replaced by a new man, the language that was the language of Rome was the same language, were there some men that went out and looked like lambs that accomplished that? They were the false prophet that is in the second half of this chapter, and it's a picture of a ministry that brought life back to the image of the beast. The image of the beast is a reflection of the Roman Empire, which is in the... What's it called? What's the Catholic Church called? If you ever deal with a real Catholic, they will not let you just call them a Catholic. They're Roman Catholics. It's very important to them. For a thousand years, what was the Roman Catholic Church called? The Holy Roman Empire. But there was an Eastern Church, and it was called the Western Church. And there was a Greek Church, and there was a the Latin Church. It was called the Latin Church. Pre, I'm giving you a thumbnail sketch of Revelation 13. The false prophet reflects the ministry of the Roman Catholic Church, giving life to the image of the beast a mirror image of that Roman Empire being created in the Roman Catholic Church. And it came to life and the whole world wondered after it. They thought the Roman Empire had died when the the Germanic tribes from Europe came down and overran Rome. They captured Rome. But then came up that little horn, and it took down three horns, and it was stouter than his fellows, and he got to himself the kingdoms of Europe, because God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and give their kingdoms to the beast. And so Charlemagne, a king of France, would come and give kingdoms to the Pope of Rome. And that's what history is. For 1,200 years, you can read about the Dark Ages when the popes ruled Europe. Now look at, come down in that column under Revelation 13 to where it says, Beast or False Prophet. And is, is blasphemy assigned to this beast? Verses 5 and 6, look. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Where have we read that before? We read it in Daniel 7. A great mouth speaking, th- speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. How long is forty-two months? Three and a half years. How many days in three and a half years? 1,260. God just words it different ways. It's the same period of time. What was given to him? Power was given to him to continue 40 and 2 months. What did Daniel say about that? Power was given to the little horn to prevail against the saints of God and to make war against the saints of God. For the dark ages, when we were persecuted and hounded and chased around Europe, North Africa, and the western part of Asia. Verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. That sounds like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. A perfect match. Verse 7 matches up with what we've read about persecuting. 
Verse 7 says, Power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So he ruled over the earth, and he ruled for the same amount of time. Let's come to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. What have we seen so far in, in John? John's visions in Revelation. After 12, a red dragon, a red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, no one on its back, the heads crowned. We're told what time frame is under consideration because Jesus Christ has just gone into heaven and the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Pagan Rome. Then we come to chapter 13 and the crowns have moved from the seven heads to the ten horns. The transitional government of when Rome was breaking down and it looked like it was dying and it got a deadly wound. You know, I was raised. No, I was raised. I've read Hal Lindsey. I've read the books like Hal Lindsey wrote. I've read about all this stuff about some man that's going to come in the future and do all this. You know, it won't mean a thing to anybody because we're going to all be gone in some so-called secret rapture. There's not a martyr that ever died that believed that. Amen. They all understood that they were fighting against Antichrist sitting at Rome. They knew that, and they were willing to lay down their lives for it. And I want you to understand it. So the truth is not lost in this congregation like it is outside these doors where they actually put the coming of Christ in front of the coming of Antichrist when Paul said, let no man deceive you by any means. We've had pagan Rome, seven heads, ten horns, crowns in the heads. We've had transitional Rome, crowns have moved to the horns of the ten principal kingdoms that the Roman Empire fell into. It looked like it was going to die because one of the heads received a mortal wound but it came back to life, and along came this prophet that looked like a lamb and spake like a dragon and had two horns, and that was the ministry, and came along and gave life to the image of the beast. What's a beast? It's not a man. A beast is a kingdom and an empire. It's the Roman Empire. It's died. Now there is a mirror image of that empire in the Roman Catholic Church, called for a thousand years the Holy Roman Empire. It was the mirror image of what appeared to die, and the world wondered after it. That was chapter 13. Then we move into chapter 17 after a couple of other side, side visions that John has. He leaves the beast. When he takes the beast up again, it's in chapter 17. And we, here's what we've got. Chapter 17. I'm going to read the, just the last part of verse 3. Having seven heads and ten horns. He sees this beast again, but there's someone riding on the back of the beast. Because now there's a woman on the beast. What is the woman? She's a whore. She's the great whore. She has committed fornication. What kind of fornication? Spiritual fornication. She's a church. She's riding on the back of a beast. This big dragon with seven heads and ten horns is bringing a church into power. She's riding it. It's, it's providing all the impetus and the history and the power of Rome to bring this false church into power to where it could dictate and change times and laws for all churches except for those who would run to the wilderness and hide where God has prepared nourishment for them for time, times, and half a time. This is Revelation 17. The ten horns are here. The seven heads are here. Now, John gets pretty plain. 
Revelation 17, verse 18. How much plainer can you get than this? And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Which reigneth. Not will reign. Reigneth. Who was it? Who was reigning over the kings of the earth at this time that John wrote this? Rome was. So he's telling us exactly what's under consideration. There isn't some United Nations thing coming. You don't have to worry about the Secretary General of the United Nations. The great enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ has been Antichrist, the man of sin. And here he is. Look at verse, look at verse 9. Here is the mind which hath wisdom. If I said to you, what's the windy city? What would you tell me? Chicago. If I said, what's the city of brotherly love? Philadelphia. Anyone who's ever picked up a geography book, answer this one. What's the city of seven hills? Rome. Everyone knows that as much as they know about Chicago. Rome sits on seven hills. What does it say? Here's the mind which hath wisdom. The seven hills are named. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. That is one meaning. I have said they represented different forms of government of the Roman Empire. Because I've read verse 10 too. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into, and what's that word? Perdition. He goes into judgment. This is what we've been following throughout the scriptures. The Antichrist, the man of sin, the little horn of Rome. In Revelation 17, is there blasphemy assigned to this being? This ruling power. Verse 3, he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy. How about apostasy? Departing from the truth. Look at verse 5. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Mother of, what's the last thing that she's a mother of? The abominations of the earth. Changing times and laws, changing doctrines. She's the mother of abominations. Why would John write, Mystery, Babylon? Is it because there's something difficult that we have to figure out? You know, the mystery of godliness is the greatest mystery there is. Do we understand it with perfect clarity? Great is the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. Why did he write Babylon? Why did he say Rome? Come on. How good would that have been for the churches of Jesus Christ passing around an epistle calling Rome the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth? This is a mystery. Babylon was the great enemy, the great enemy and the great blaspheming pagan entity of the Old Testament church. Mystery Babylon is Rome, and he gives it away by saying it's the city on seven hills, and it's the city reigning over the kings of the earth. There's no mystery to us. We have it figured out with perfect clarity. And Paul spoke in in disguised language to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2 for the very same reason. He said, you know, I told you all this when I was with you. I remember what I told you because what I told you was restraining is still restraining, and he'll restrain till God takes him out of the way then the man of sin will be revealed. Revelation 17 says he's going to, says this person persecutes, or this thing persecutes the saints. Look at verse 6. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, a church drunk 
with the blood of saints. A city, a church of a city, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. There would have been no wonder and no admiration for John to see a pagan city killing the saint. That had been happening his whole lifetime since Jesus Christ had gone back to heaven. Remember, James was killed in Jerusalem, and they were being persecuted. And Paul was very well dead by this time also. But he wondered with great admiration because it was a church, a woman, riding into power on the back of the Roman Empire. She was drunk with the blood of the saints. John saw this. And she goes into perdition, and it's before the second coming. Oh, in 13.8 and 17.8, we have a parallel here. On your page, it's called the Book of Life. In both places, it says there's a group of people that follow this beast, and they're known by this characteristic, whose names were not written in the Book of Life in both places. Chapter 13 and chapter 17, showing how they're lining up, just showing you it from a different angle at a slightly different time. Revelation chapter 18 speaks of the destruction of Mystery Babylon, of Rome. And it says in verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. We come over to Revelation chapter 19, where we have the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ on his white horse, coming with blood dripping off his horse. And it's not his redemptive blood. It's the blood of his enemies, because he has trampled the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And it says... We, we usually stop at verse 16. He hath a name on his thigh, saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. But if we keep reading, it says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them. And the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast. I saw this kingdom church. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. They were given to the burning flame, just like Daniel described in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 11. And so we run from Daniel 2 to Revelation 19, 10 chapters, and there is one common thread through all 10 of them. It is the Roman Empire. And what grew out of that Roman Empire was a little horn that took advantage of having an empire in place that fell apart, that it reestablished in the Holy Roman Empire that we know today as the Roman Catholic Church. And the man that sits at the pinnacle of power of the Roman Catholic Church fulfills everything written about the Pope's, about Antichrist in the Bible. He has a look stouter than his fellows. He has eyes, he's intelligent, and he sees the whole world through all of his priests. He speaks blasphemous things against God. He changes times and laws. And he persecutes the saints. And he wears them out. Brethren, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. He wore out the saints of the Most High because God let him have power 
for 1260 years. And Jesus Christ is coming soon. When you read this thread about the Roman Empire being the last empire before Christ comes, but the Roman Empire has to turn into the Roman Catholic Church, we already know that they've had their 1,200 years of civil power where they could put us to death. The coming of Christ is not far away. And these word pictures here in these chapters don't think about birds eating horses. It's a spiritual warfare that we're in. He's going to be sending armies after us, not of horses. He doesn't have any horses. It's a spiritual warfare. He's going to send false teachers after us. The whole world's going to unite against us to get rid of churches like this that hold to the Bible. Yeah, Rome's a popular place again. The whole world went there. The world wandered after the beast again this very past week. The Lord Jesus Christ can come at any time. What did Paul say? We need two, two conditions fulfilled. A great falling away. We've had that. And the man of sin be revealed. Well, he's revealed. He's as big as day. You can read quotes. You can read what he's done. You can read about how he's killed our ancestors in the faith. It's all there. We can see it. Jesus Christ can come. Paul could not tell us there must be two things yet before Christ can come. That is exciting. God has chosen to put us in these perilous times of the last days. Paul's actually told us what our main threat is, and it's not even Rome anymore. The main threat is a compromising and effeminate brand of Christianity that will not live holy lives of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And of Second Timothy chapter 4, they will no longer endure sound doctrine. They want fables and entertainment. 100 years ago, almost one understood Second Thessalonians 2. Now it's been stolen. Now you understand it again. We've been over it before when I preached through Thessalonians. But I want you to see the Rome connection all the way from Daniel 2 all the way to Revelation 19. We've got the beast in Daniel 7, and we've got the beast in Revelation 19, and the Lord Jesus Christ will destroy him. Our Savior is coming for us, and the kingdom and the power of the kingdom shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, and they shall reign with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. His kingdom will be, will be never taken from him, and he will destroy all these other kingdoms. Amen. Jesus Christ shall reign forever and ever. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our brother. He's shown us these secrets. The word mystery in the Bible does not mean that you need a Ph.D. to figure it out. It means the rest of the world doesn't know what I'm talking about. And we know what he was talking about. We We know the Son of God came and visited this earth and died for our sins, that God has chosen us to an eternal inheritance and that we're part of his kingdom and everything is moving forward for him to reveal it to the whole universe when he will show He is the blessed and only potentate. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.